Guys, um, how good was fat? I'm, <laughs> I'm stoked to be back together with our family, to dig into God's Word. I want to tell you the story of EV Youth. Okay, It started with six people, six people in a lounge room. Um, now, that was, that was 16 years ago. One of those six people was a guy called Daniel Godden. Now, um, last year he went with a handful of people from this church down to Wollongong and started a church called Salt Church. And Salt Church just celebrated its first birthday. And cool stuff's happening down there. They've, um, over Easter, 30 new people came and visited their church, which is bigger than the amount that originally came. Um, 20 new people this year have jumped into what they call growth groups, we call G-teams. Um, people are meeting Jesus. It's a really exciting thing. And I'll tell you what excites me. That's just one of those original six. And the ripples are spreading. They taught him God's word. We're about to get taught God's word. And I am so excited to think about what the ripples might be from the people in this room. Now, from those six people, EV Youth, or as it was called then, CCEC Youth, it started to grow as people invited their friends. And so by the, guy, by the time a guy called Rhett Harris rocked up in 2002, it had grown from six people to 40 young punks. And they were hard days, okay, because there was a culture in youth groups of kind of youth group shopping where you would kind of every week choose what youth group you'd go to based on which one had the best activities. People just wanted a social time, a good time. Um, and it, it was hard to build real relationships and community when people would just choose where to go on, the, on what was happening. It was hard to do real discipleship and it was hard to really teach God's word in a culture like that. And so that was the question they wrestled with, right? How do you get a youth group to do real discipleship? How do you get a youth group that doesn't just have a good time, but also, as well as that, spends time in God's Word? And um, teens, teens actually become genuine followers of Jesus and live to please God. Uh, and that was the year that they started FAT. The first FAT, 2002, there were less than 40 people on FAT. Jono was one of them. Jono was in year 12, and Rhett remembers Jono complaining because it was survivor fat, and they just fed them rice. <laughs> Kid you not. But here's what happened. On that camp, many teens came to know Jesus, and, and many people were transformed. And so what happened to that first fat was actually what happened to the Peninjas this year. You might not know, we have a sister youth group down the peninsula started by some of the leaders from here. Last year they started a youth group with five people. This year, the biggest night so far, 45. But the problem is, of the first five, not many were Christians, and now not many were Christians still. Um, and so they had a big, basically a big party every week with the Bible. But what happened for the Peninjas on fat was um, a bunch of them became Christians. Four or five. How good is God? Yeah. And so for the first time, they're going back to a term where people actually want to learn God's word and they want to be discipled. Well, that's what happened after the first fat. They now had a group of people who wanted to dig into God's word each week. Um, and so people started showing up to youth group every week. And people started to get into G-teams. And I heard, by the way, tonight, G-teams were epic. Who went to G-teams tonight? Yeah! 
That's what we want. But guys, those days were hard work. Late nights, sleepless nights. But they were worth it because the group started to grow. So those 40 people doubled in size in three years, then doubled in size again over the next three years, then doubled in size again over the next three years. In fact, all the way through history, every three years we double in size, which means we're going to be 600 people soon, God willing, which is scary, but cool. Anyway, I remember 2007 really clearly. I was in year 12, and the guy running at the time, Dave Myers, legend, um, he, he shared Vision 4000, which is cleverly written on the screen. <laughs> Vision 4000 was because there are 40,000, not 4,000, 40,000 people your age on the Central Coast, 7 to 12. And uh, most of them, the vast majority of them, don't know Jesus, which means they don't have eternal life. And so Dave said, can we be content with a youth group of 120 people? Which is what we were at the time. No. We've got to keep seeing more people come to Jesus. And so here's the goal. Um, and the reason 4,000 is because it's 10% of the coast, which if 10% know, if 10% are Christian, statistically that means almost everybody knows a Christian personally. So you can see what that might do. So the 10% is like a stepping stone to reaching the whole central coast for Jesus. And I remember Dave sharing Vision 4000, and he said, we need to keep bringing our friends. We need to keep telling our friends about Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. Jono started leading youth, was it 2009 or 8? Nine. And, and at that time, each week, 160 youths, uh, teenagers, whatever, young adults, young punks, turned up uh, to hear about, to read the Bible, to encourage each other. And this is us three years later and twice that size. We had 335 of you on fat. And I'm telling you this story because knowing where we've come from helps you to understand who we are and where we're going, right? Who are we? We're on about the Bible. It's God's word and we come because we're hungry to understand it, to learn from it how we can please God. And, and all the things that he's done for us. That's who we are. Who are we? We are disciples of Jesus. That is, um, we live for him. And we want to see other people become disciples of Jesus. And so we bring our friends. We tell everyone we can the good news that Jesus Christ will give you eternal life for free. And so... That's who we are. And it also tells you a bit about who God is, that God is on about saving people and growing people. He saved me through this group. He saved many of your leaders. And two weeks ago on fat, he saved probably over 40 people, which is as many in one week as there were on the whole original fat. God has been so good to us. He is so powerful. He's so able to see the gospel go out. From six people to 336 people in 16 years. What might he do in the next few years? That's what excites me. I don't know this, but I don't think the good days are in the past. Guys, we're not a big youth group. If anyone ever says that, we're not. Compared to the community and the number of people who don't know Jesus, we're a small youth group in a big community of teenagers who need a saviour. And so we long to see thousands of teens come to know Jesus 
as radical disciples of Jesus, passionate about the glory of Jesus. That's who we are. And I want to know, will you join us in that? Because we'll keep doing what we've always done, trusting that the God who has worked amazingly every year will continue to do that and getting all the glory. Are you on board with that? Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for the way you have blessed us through your word. Thank you that as it is explained and read and studied and lived, uh, you speak to us, you save, you change, and we thank you so much for the ripples that we're already starting to see. We pray, Lord, that ripples from this room will go out to the ends of the earth, not so that we can get glory, but so that you can be praised as you deserve, as people realize the Savior, God, that you are. God, I pray that tonight you would start that work in us. Help us to understand your word. Change us through it. Uh, help us to concentrate, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you want to get to know someone, you need to know their story. Yeah? Uh, it's, you just heard the story of Evie Youth. Uh, to understand who we are as a youth group, you need to understand our story. And it's the same with any person. You can't just know facts about them. Red hair, lives in Saratoga, goes to um, Henry Kendall or some other school. Um, no, to understand a person, you need to understand their story. That's where you see what a person is really, really like. Yesterday, I um, went through baby photos uh, with my girlfriend, and we told stories. That that was a bit cute. <laughs> and I understand who she is as a person better. You need to understand someone's stories. It's the same with God. You know, the Bible is not an encyclopedia of facts about God. It's a collection of stories about God and his dealings with his people, guys. And when you become a Christian, you actually get connected into the people of God, grafted onto a tree that has many branches and really deep roots, a long history. You've become part of a family with a long family history of dealing with God. This book is our history. These are our stories. So these stories, some of them are 3,000 years old. Are they irrelevant? Well, they're about a God who hasn't changed, and they're about people, and I don't think people have really changed all that much. They're very relevant. And as we see, we're going to look at the first two chapters. What we're going to see is a God who is all we need. And also something about humans. Something about human nature, that we as humans are all deeply sinful. That we as humans repeatedly respond to God's blessing and goodness by disobeying him. You know, um, sometimes you see someone else doing something um, and you're like, hey, that sucks, man, don't do that. And then you realize that you do that thing. Like my sister leaves dirty um, stuff all over the kitchen. And when I'm living there, um, I'm like, hey, that sucks. Don't do that. And then I'm like, whoa. That's like I've been doing that all my life. Suddenly you understand it from your mum's perspective when it happens to you or when you see it going on. Well, that's what's going on here. This is a story about other people. And you read this and you see these guys, you think this is awful. And the book of Judges is a horrible book. It's not a G-rated book. There's a part where the guy stabs the fat man. So far, the sword goes in up to the hill and then the dung comes out. It's not a G-rated book. It's a f Anyone who says the Bible is boring hasn't read it. 
It's an exciting book. They probably read the boring parts. <laughs> but seriously, it's a book full of awful evil. Now, some people read the book of full of evil and think God is evil. That's missing the point. God's not the one doing it. Humans are. And the evil in the Bible, it's not commended or praised or commanded. It's just described. And so you're supposed to look at it. You're supposed to look at it and say, wow, these people are evil. And then realize, wow, that's not just them. That's them generation after generation, and actually that's us. So as we read these stories of our people, the people of God tonight, we're going to see that God is the God uh, God is the God who is all we need, but we're also going to see that we as people, uh, even us, are sinful, that we continually respond to God's blessing with disobedience. And so this is the introduction to the book of Judges. It opens with a picture of the God who is all you need. Now, finish this sentence in your own mind. All I need is good friends, enough money to have a good time. All I need is a girl to love me. That would just... What things do you look to in your life to prop you up to keep you going? Because Judges chapter 1 says God is the God who is all you need. Let's tell the story. So verse 1 of chapter 1. I'm in the wrong book. After the death of Joshua. So it starts with a historical crisis. Joshua is their trusted leader. God had, had promised them this, this land that they would own and they had to go in and conquer the people. And under Joshua, their trusted leader, they'd been hugely successful, but now their leaders died and it's, it's a crisis point. And so verse 1 says, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites, the people that they had to conquer the land from? Who's going to be our trusted leader that saves us? Will God allow his plan to be stopped by the death of his servant? No, verse 2, the Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. Judah is a tribe of Israel. And so the first thing you see here is that God is all they need for guidance. What do we do? They turn to God for guidance. He guides them. He picks this tribe, Judah, and he says, I've given the land into their hands. They will succeed. You see that there in verse 2? And so God is all you need for confidence. They don't need to be anxious. They've got God's promises. And he comes through on his promises. One of the big lessons through the book of Judges is that God is faithful. He's trustworthy. God is a man of his word. He always backs up his word with action. You can trust this God. So look at verse 4. When Judah attacked... The, the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. So God gives them the victory in battle against 10,000 men. Now, how is God good if he's fighting battles? Well, we'll come to that in a second. But first, catch the big point here, right? The big point is the Lord gave 
the Canaanites into hand. The Lord is all they need for strength. He's all they need for power. They go out to war. They win because God is their strength. And so that's the big point of this part. When, when God's people Israel look to their God, they actually find that he is all they need for guidance, for confidence, for strength. And so that's how the story starts. And I'll tell you what it's like. Um, I saw Iron Man 3 the other week. Epic movie. Spoiler alert. No, I'm not going to spoil it. But I will ruin the plot. <laughs> yep, go see it. It's good if you're over the age of, that it says. You know how, um, if you've seen it, otherwise just imagine, um, his, suit of pa- his suit runs out of power and he's all like Devo. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> he's, when his suit runs out of power, he's just an ordinary guy. He's just he's stuffed. But when he gets his suit on, he's a superhero. He can do anything. He's got like a guidance suit. He's got armor. He's got weapons. Without his suit, he's nothing. He's just an ordinary guy. Well, he's a creative ordinary guy. With his suit... He's Iron Man. He's invincible. Well, God is kind of like that. (laughs) He's not exactly like that. But when his people trust him, he's like that suit. He's all they need. They're sweet. This God is all they need if they would only look to him. So let me ask you, where do you turn for direction for confidence and for strength if you're like me i turn to myself i if i can be strong enough things will go well or maybe it's your friends your parents where do you turn don't put your confidence in those things guys this term as you face life just remember you know the god who is all you need he's all you need for guidance how does he do that Well, in our times, he does it through the Bible. So guys, read your Bibles. Every one of us, this term, every day, he's all you need for guidance. He's all you need for confidence. And he's all you need for strength. When you're anxious, trust in him. Now, don't trust that he'll always do what you want him to. He's not a genie in a bottle. He doesn't promise you success. There's a lot of things he doesn't promise, but when you look at what he does promise in the Bible, there's a lot of good things. And one of them is that he will always do what's best for you. Whether that's what you think is best, uh, he'll do what's actually best. And that's an amazing promise. And therefore, he's your confidence, he's your strength, he's all you need. So guys, when all else falls away, God is all you need. And when the Israelites remember that, things go well. That's how the story starts, but the problem is they don't remember that. They turn away from God. And so what you see next, not in the script, but when they remember that, that's crucial. I learned that this week. As a Christian, you've got to be reminding yourself. What you see next in the story is this. Um, Humans, us, we respond to God's goodness, God's blessing with disobedience, and it spirals downhill. Now, I don't know if you picked it up when Bree and the other guys were reading it, but this part of the Bible is hard to read. Give you a tip. If you come to a name you can't pronounce, just pretend you know it and just make it up. It's fun. Um, But it reads like a a geography textbook. 
Just place names and people names. And Is there stuff in here for us? Well, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16, God actually says about his word, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is useful. So there are lessons in here for us. What's the lesson? Well, it's a lesson about you and me. It's a lesson about human nature. I've said it. Humans respond to God's blessing with disobedience, and it spirals downhill. This chapter is just a picture of disobedience. It's a systematic description of this spiral down in disobedience. So, I mean, chapter 2 is is the conclusion of this. Um, It's the summary. So if you look at chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, it says this. The angel of the Lord went up to, from Gilgal to Bochum and said, this is God speaking, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to give to your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Those are all promises he made and he's kept them. He's faithful. But when God made those promises, he also gave commands. So you see there uh, in, in Judges uh, 2 verse 2, you shall not make a covenant, an agreement, with the people of this land, but instead you shall break down their altars. Yet you've disobeyed me. Why have you done this? So there's the conclusion. They disobeyed God. He said, don't make agreements with the land, uh, the people that already live there, and actually destroy their altars. When they worship false gods, knock down their, their idols. Actually, the command, if you go back to Deuteronomy 7, it's, it's drive them out altogether and, in fact, destroy them. God says. Now, is God evil to command that? There's a lot to say in here, but let me give you two reasons why it's not evil. Number one, God gave them, these people, their life. It's his. He can take it away. In fact, for every person, he will take it away at the end. He's doing a bit early. Also, number two, the people aren't innocent. It's not like good people that God unfairly orders they're, they're killing. It's Deuteronomy 9 says is, is these people are doing crazy evil. People often say, why doesn't God put a stop to evil? Well, that's what he's doing right here. I mean, we saw it on fat. Judgment's a good thing because it puts the world right. And here God is carrying out the judgment on these people. Now, we're all waiting for that great day of judgment when God will bring justice to the whole world in here, these people are actually getting what they deserve. God gave them their life, and then they actually said, stuff you to the, to the source of life. And so the source of life said, okay, I'll take my life back. It's fair. And so um, God's not evil, but why was it so important to God to do this? Why did he want them not to leave any other nations in the land? Well, it's, it's because God knows what we're like as humans. See, those other nations did evil things. They worshipped other gods. And God knew that his people would actually be led astray by them. They'd, they'd copy them. And so if you come across to Exodus 34, or I'll read it out, here's an example. It says, Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you, and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose, this is so relevant for you guys, when you choose, well, not for you, but you'll see the connection. When you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons 
and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. See, God wanted his people to be holy. That means different, to live for him. And he says, don't make agreements with them. Instead, drive them out of the land because they'll just lead you astray. Now, guys, this tells us something about ourselves. It says we need to be careful. Don't be influenced by the world. Don't copy them. Don't worship what the world worships, stuff, money, success, sport, self, sex. Don't worship their gods. Don't copy their practices. We're not told to drive out of the land all of the other people. Um, there's a few reasons for that. But we should be careful who is in our lives and what position we give them in our lives. You know you become like your closest friends. Have you notice that? So make sure that the people closest to you in that inner circle, make sure they're people you want to become like, people who love God. Don't date non-Christians. I wish I could spend more time on this. I've seen it time after time. You think you'll be different. You won't. You are saying, I want the most important person in my life to be a person who doesn't care about the person who should be the most important person in my life. How do you think that's going to go? God knew they will lead your sons to do the same. God says, don't marry a non-Christian. He knows it. They'll lead you straight. I've seen it happen so many times. Just I want you to know this is coming from my heart. It'll kill your Christian life. Don't. In fact, if you love God, I'd say, this isn't a rule, but I'd say you'd want to not date anyone unless they were going to help you to love God more. And ultimately, that is the best. It doesn't get better than that. Now, you want to be careful what movies you watch, what movies, uh, what music you listen to, not because we're monks and we want to hide, but because it actually does influence you. And so you just want to be careful. Because we know from these warnings here that as God's people, God doesn't want us to be influenced by the world. He wants his people to be different, to live for him, and we are, as people, easily influenced. So that's why God said, drive the people out of the land, but his people disobeyed. And so that's the story in the second half of chapter 1. So we kind of skipped over it, but you saw it there in verse 27. These are all tribes of Israel. Manasseh, verse 27, Manasseh didn't drive out the people. Verse 29, nor did Ephraim, that's another tribe, drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, neither did Zebulun. In fact, if you're paying attention, it actually gets worse. It goes from them driving out the people, but some of the Canaanites still live there, to um, driving out the people, but actually the Israelites live among the Canaanites. And then in the last one, verse 34, actually the Canaanites push back the people. So it just gets worse and worse and worse. It spirals down. They disobey God. They disobey God. They disobey God. Now, could they have obeyed? Or could they, where there's not powerful enough? Well, verse 28 says, When Israel became strong, uh, strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor. They made them slaves. Now, if you're strong enough to make someone a slave, you can probably get rid of them. They, they, they just didn't want to obey God. The point is, they just repeatedly, deliberately disobeyed their God. 
And that is a lesson about human nature. It's that humans respond to God's blessing with disobedience. And I wonder whether you see that in your life. Because I do. Day after day. That's my story. I sin against God. And and there's the main point. That's the main point of the whole book of Judges. The rest of the book just continues this spiral. It's actually depressing reading. It's actually exhausting reading. By the end of it, you're tired. You think, this again? This again? That's, and that's the point, because I think that's how God feels when he sees our lives. This again? See, in God's eyes, humans are not basically good. We're basically bad. And so the message here is you are part of, you're like this. You can't save yourself. That's the whole point. We need a saviour. That's the big point of the book of Judges. God raises saviours, the judges, and they save them. But actually, um, those judges don't bring real salvation. And it points to the fact that we need a perfect saviour. You could boil the whole book of Judges down into four points probably. And they're just shown time and time again in story after story. Ready? Number one, if, if you remember these four, you'll probably get the book of Judges. Humans respond to God's blessing with sin. That's what we're seeing tonight. Ladies see God hates sin and punishes it. Then God rescues his people temporarily through these these judge characters who are imperfect saviors, but their salvation doesn't last. And so, number four, they point to what you ultimately need, a perfect saviour. If you learn these four things this term, that you're getting it. That's the book. But here's the point. If you remember nothing else tonight, listen to this. We suck, but God saves. It's all pointing to the Savior that you and I all need, Jesus. So there's three things I just want you to remember as I finish. Number one, God is all you need. Trust him. Number two, realize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Number three, thank God that he gives Jesus. Because on our own, we are just so, so, so sinful and we can't save ourselves So praise God that he gave Jesus to save sinners. And number four, guard yourselves so that you're not influenced by the world. I want to end the way this this actual passage that we read ends. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 4. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bochum. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. So God sends an angel, shows them their sin, and they weep. And it's a good thing that they can still be saddened by their sin. They offer sacrifices. That's a good sign. But it actually ends leaving this question hanging. Will they go home and burn their idols and change their ways? Do they go home and start to obey God? Well, tragically, the rest of the book says no. And that's a warning to us that Tears aren't enough. Did you come home from fat knowing there are things in your life that you need to change? And and did you actually change? Tears aren't enough. From tonight, will you go home and change? Guys, I'm excited to get into the book of Judges and see our need for a saviour and the saviour that God has brought. Read your Bible, trust in God, tell your friends, and actually live for our great God who is all that we need. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you um, you save.
Amen.